1: Each week on this podcast, we'll break down, analyze, and debate the most important stories on Musk and his empire.
2: It's all one big universe. You just work for Elon, Inc.
1: From Bloomberg Businessweek, this is Elon, Inc. Listen wherever you get your podcasts.
3: This is the Bloomberg Business of Sports podcast, where we cover the big money issues in the world of sports and We are bringing in Bloomberg's Jason Kelly and Vanessa Perdomo. They are talking about their new series called Next in Sports, where Jason and Vanessa really feature a up-and-coming sport. And in this instance, you guys have looked into Formula One. It's not exactly a sport that people can participate in, like uh, pickleball, which you covered earlier, but it is something that has really started to take off uh, in the last year or so.
1: Yeah, I mean, this is, I feel like if you talk to... People on the weekends, especially like we're in the thick of the season right now, the interest in Formula One here in the United States, which is really what we were most interested in, has just skyrocketed over the past years. There's one big reason the Netflix show Drive to Survive, mm, but people mm-hmm. really got hooked on it. And so we wanted to find out whether this sort of boom in the U.S. is real and what it's going to take to sustain it.
3: And Vanessa, what I found interesting is this is obviously not a new sport, but it's making a concerted effort to win over the U.S. market and cater to a U.S. audience in a way that it never did before.
2: Yeah, exactly. It's always been a more of a, it's a global sport, right? It's probably one of the most global sports, if not the most global sport that we covered in the series, and. The funny thing is with these global sports, we talked about pickleball being very American. Mm-hmm. So you have America as its own thing. We want to have our own sports. So trying to crack the U.S. market has been tough. They've had races here in the past that just haven't really worked out. And you know, Vegas, I think was in it with Caesar's parking lot yeah. or something in
1: 1981. Yeah,
2: and then they had a race in Arizona where the tires were melting and Ooh. a bunch of cars did not make it through. So. They haven't really cracked the formula, but now they've added Austin, which has been on for a couple of years and done well. Miami was added last year and was an unbelievable event. And Vegas, I think, is even supposed to be double what that was. So they're doing a lot to make sure that, you know, this is – they're they're building the audience here, that it's something we're really excited about. And like Jason said, I mean, Drive to Survive made it – Very relatable to an American audience because of the drama
1: that they show. I mean, there's so many people that I think we've all talked to in our lives. And I mean, notably, I think a lot of women who were drawn to this. I mean, that was one thing that came up over and over again in our reporting. Um, And even, you know, we went to a, again, this is our job, folks. Like, we... (laughs) We went to a bar on a Sunday morning and like hung out with people who were there to watch a race that was happening in the Middle East. And I mean, that bar was at least half women, right?
2: Oh, 100%. And the owner of the bar even told us, he was like, there's more women who come in, they have their laptops out with the diagnostics of the
3: Wait, what, the what, what? They're, they're tracking the race on their oh, yeah. laptop? Oh,
2: yeah, you can, you can look at the diagnostics of what the cars are doing. The, in all real time. The, yeah, in real time. So they're doing all of that, and this bar gets so packed. You know, we talk to a lot of people who go there. Uh, you know, the races are all over the world, so some of them are at three in the morning. They still go there at three in the morning, <laughs> and it's still packed. They set alarms on their phone for when the reservations open up for this bar for the next race, which is really incredible.
1: Yeah, this is shout out Phyla, This this bar down uh, in in Midtown, New York, which is, I mean, everybody just descends on this place. It was jammed i mean it was like going to watch a, a yankee game or something like that it yeah. was just no and everybody more so focused like the playoffs yeah. like
3: of some you know big I'm, I'm, other- i i want to pick up on this why are there so many women that are attracted to formula one it can't just be drive to survive that that did it like what in particular do they see about the sport or maybe the professionals who are playing the sport or in this case racing the cars that appeals to them
1: so i think Vanessa nailed it. It's the storytelling and and the drama behind it. I mean, I think- What was the drama? Drive to Survive introduced it. And what what really comes forth is that you have these teams. It's just a different sport than we're used to. So there are 10 teams on the grid, two drivers in in each one. They're both competing against the other teams, but they're also competing against each other. Uh, Then you have this whole cast of characters of the team principals, whether it's Toto Wolf with Mercedes or Christian Horner for Red Bull or Gunther Steiner for Haas that people have gotten to know. And by the way, ESPN has totally embraced this. And so they're showing, you know, the garages during the race. And so you're seeing their reactions and you're hearing the back and forth over the radio of how they're talking to the drivers. And it's just, it's super compelling.
2: In such a competitive sport when there's literally only 20 drivers on the circuit. Uh Uh-huh. It there is enormous amounts of drama. There's, there's no, you know, lack of it at all. So to finally put cameras in there and show that, I think that is definitely, you know, women we love. We've t- done a lot of, you know, storytelling on what women fa- sports fans want when they're Watching anything, you uh-huh. know, whether it be women's sports, whether it be basketball, football, whatever it is. And it's women f- sports fans are really compelled by storytelling. Mm-hmm. They want to know about the people. And so putting faces to and stories behind these drivers was exactly the what, behind the
3: scenes action.
2: Yes.
1: Yeah. And being able to see it in real time and sort of knowing, I mean, I, you know, it's like I've watched Drive to Survive with my wife, who's now a fan and like a bunch of her college girlfriends. You know, we interviewed several groups of women at Phyla uh, Bar who, you know, they refer to themselves as the F1 babes and they get <laughs> together and, you know, they come from like Broadway and finance and all these things and they sort of gather around. It, it's a really, it's a really interesting kind of cross section uh, of people who are watching this.
3: And you got to interview one of the Formula One drivers as well, a young guy too. Yes, he's 22
2: years old, Ameri- the first American driver for Formula One since 2015. And he is very young. You know, you can tell that baby he- Baby face. Baby face. But like, also, he came to Europe at 12 years old to start his kind of journey into becoming a Formula One driver, This is obviously. Logan Sargent. Logan Sargent, yeah. who drives for Williams. And he- came to Europe from Florida at 12 years old and never really questioned it. Obviously, uh-huh. you're 12. You don't really question why you're doing <laughs> these things. And I thought that was very funny. And he said that his parents were... His dad was the one who was really into Formula One racing. And I asked him, wow, is he really proud of you to finally get here? And he was like, wow, I've never asked him that. You know, it's just like this whole thing that's been his life, uh-huh. you know, and he's finally out on in the car. And I think it's really interesting. And he, he does understand what it means to be the first American driver yeah. in a long time and to be able to have these races. And he said he was ready to try and be that driver that everyone can root for in America.
1: He's not quite there yet. I mean, he's he's not competitive yet. I no. mean, which is a bummer. And yet... Not I mean, necessarily
2: his fault yet. Either, right, That's yeah. the difference between Formula One and other things. Williams has been at the bottom of the paddock yeah. for a while I now. see. Um, and their cars aren't But he could
3: potentially switch teams, too.
1: He could, yeah. And I mean, and so there's all of this, you know, anticipation around it getting into America. And, and, and to Vanessa's point, it's like, Having an American, you know, face, you know, somebody. I mean, he really is this like he. He looks like your next door neighbor, like your very <laughs> yes. handsome next door neighbor, um, who's you know really good at, at driving cars. Um, you know the the three American races that Vanessa mentioned, and you know, sort of looming in the in uh, off screen is you have Michael Andretti, who has done a deal with Cadillac and you know they're trying to get a car onto the circuit in the next couple of years that would be huge Mm -hmm. to have a team actually based in indianapolis or or in indiana where they're Building this huge headquarters to sort of marry it with a lot of the motorsports enthusiasm here. You know, Michael Andretti himself raced in uh, in Formula One back in the day. Didn't go well in the early nineties for him. Um, his father was a very successful uh, Formula One racer. So um, there's just there are these great storylines, and I mean Vegas, Vegas, Vegas is what everyone talks about, right?
2: Absolutely. It is something that they're they're trying to make Vegas the next Monaco, the next yeah. biggest, the the one that all the drivers are looking forward to, the one that everyone's flying in town for. They want it to be huge. And it, I mean, no doubt that it's going to be huge this year. For it is sure.
1: going to be massive. I mean, and you think about like the spectacle of it. So it's going to be a night race on the streets of Vegas. Like they are going to fly down the strip.
3: Yeah, that's pretty incredible
1: miles an hour. I mean, it's going to be if nothing else, something that Everybody uh, is going to watch. There's there's some crazy statistic that there are 400,000 hotel rooms um, that have a view that had that are like within a mile of the track or within walking distance of the track. That's nuts! So you can insane. be looking
3: out of your hotel room yeah. watching
1: the race and just the whole scene around it. And I, I don't know, like. It, Everyone that I talked to around this, like we even went to this classic car club um, in New York again for work. And um, <laughs> okay, rub it in. <laughs> and you know, they were talking about what a big deal, um, what a big deal Vegas is going to be because if it hits in America, that changes the whole trajectory of it.
3: So this is in contrast to Pickleball, where a lot of people can participate in the sport and maybe we're not sure about the professional prospects of the sport as something that people can watch as viewers and fans. This has a lot of fans, but most people are not gonna get into a Formula One vehicle and start driving it, or even a NASCAR vehicle. And forgive me if I sound like I don't know the difference between the two cars, but Vanessa, you actually got a chance to to sit in one of these cars, right? Yes,
2: I did. I I, um, went to England and I, you know we went to a, a, again for work. yeah, again, again for work, and we went to you know a, a a car lot that they have, all these different kinds of cars that people can rent out, but the formula One car is is it, really hard. It's not for everyone. Um so I had to do a lot of training, a lot of safety training, a lot of what can go wrong training in another car, which is basically like drift training, which is actually really fun. Uh, and then getting into the Formula One car, And the track was really small. You know, there was only one straightaway where you could kind of test the speed. And Mm -hmm. I I only got up to really 60 miles per hour. Mm -hmm. And it felt, like, exhilarating. Uh So I could not imagine what it is like to be going 200 miles per hour and also taking turns at that. You know, Jason was talking about we did sim. At the Classic Car Club, they have a sim that you can do. And I was much, much better at driving the real car. The sim, I could not... I could not get it. It doesn't give you a real
3: feel, then, for how, how it
1: would be to get I it. don't know.
2: I It doesn't give you the real feel as in, like, you're not in a car. But there is, like, the motions of uh-huh. everything like that. And we were
1: both nauseous when we yeah, got out of our Sims.
2: Absolutely nauseous. Like, it, it was it was real, you know? Like, you're feeling all of the, the motions... Just the the thing that wasn't the most real is when I was driving the Formula One car, the steering is really hard. You know, it's it's tough to try. There's no power steering. Yeah, and in the sim car, you could go all the way around, whatever it was. You could oversteer a ton. But I think you know, to your point, Scar, that they have a lot of fans that aren't able to do it. Mm -hmm. But I think that that's something that American sports fans love. At least I can say as an American sports fan. That's why the NFL is the biggest, yeah, you know, a league point. in the country, because people want to see people do great things mm-hmm. that they could never do. Mm-hmm. Right. So watching people do F, F1 F and drive these cars, you're like, how, how can they possibly do that? And it's so fun to see someone do something, especially with a little danger involved. Yeah. Um, yeah. That they could never do in pickleball, you're like, well, I could do exactly what they're doing. Annalise said that when I talked to her, she was saying, People come up to me all the time thinking that they could play with me. Not necessarily that they can, but they think that they can because they play too.
1: Yeah. It's, I mean, there's. And you would never say
2: that to Lewis Hamilton.
1: No. 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 <laughs> um, I mean, and there is something, I don't know, like, I think there's also something sort of exotic about it and romantic and. You know, Vanessa mentioned Monaco. And so, you know, you get this. Once you become a fan of Formula One, like, you really engage in, like, all the different races, you know. And I have a number of friends who are, like, super analytical about it. They talk about, you know, changing tires. They talk about, like, a street course versus you know, a, a more traditional sort of track that's uh-huh. not on the streets uh, of a city. And, you know, they they get into all of those sort of technical aspects. So there's a lot of data, as you mentioned, and um, I know people just like totally nerd out on it.
3: People can plan their next vacations around it, too, oh, it sounds yeah. like. Absolutely. Oh, yeah, for sure. All right. Vegas when?
1: Vegas is in November. It's the second to last race of the year. I mean, it's it's an interesting season right now, too. I mean, I think we both have started watching it a, a little more closely. It's an interesting season because Red Bull and Max Verstappen are like way ahead of everybody else. And yet one of the things, actually, th- this is something I hadn't thought of as much until just now. One of the things that Formula One has done is really make you care because of the point system and the way that the business works and mm-hmm. the way revenue is um, is allocated. You have a lot of focus beyond even just who wins. And so it's like, who's on the podium? And then if you come in the top 10, you still get a point. And all those points accrue to you know the final standings and that's how money is distributed. So it's a- it's You're a invested f- in the season. You're invested in the season and everybody sort of has their team. Like even looking around the bar when we went, you know, people were kind of sitting under different flags and they're and they're rooting for different drivers for for different reasons. And um, it's very interesting. I mean, the one other thing that I think is really important about this story from a business perspective is Liberty Media is the owner. You know, they own the Atlanta Braves. John John Malone, Liberty Media. Exactly. Uh Um, And it and. And they are really behind this big push into America, like to the point where they actually own the Vegas race, which is not typical. Mm -hmm. And they even have essentially seconded their chief administrative and legal officer, a woman named Renee Wilms, who I talked to for the piece, to be the CEO of the Vegas Grand Prix. So they are, you know, not to be too Vegas about it, they are all in um, on making this work.
3: All right, excellent. It's a fantastic episode. Uh, If anyone wants to check it out, it's available, of course, on YouTube and Bloomberg.com. But, of course, Next in Sports is available Wednesdays on Bloomberg Television at 10 p.m. Eastern. So check it out or go online to
0: find it on demand. Osage County, Oklahoma, is getting a lot of attention right now. It's the setting of Martin Scorsese's latest film, Killers of the Flower Moon. The movie is based on a book about the 1920s Osage murders, when white men poured into Osage County and killed Osage people for their oil wealth. I'm Rachel Adams Heard, the host of Trust, a podcast from Bloomberg and iHeartMedia. For over a year, I was reporting a different story about other ways white people got Osage land and wealth, and how a prominent ranching family in Osage County became one of the biggest landowners here.